the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode nine of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. Episode nine is important because it means there are now officially more Magic Markets episodes than there are Harry Potter movies. So that's exciting because it means we've brought you more magic in Magic Markets than you got in Harry Potter, but unfortunately we've certainly made far less money. But we can only dream big and hope that uh, situation changes. So part of that dreaming, let's cross live now to Dobby the Macro Elf, aka Mohammed Nulla of MoKnows.com, my co-host as ever on Magic Markets. He is sitting in his car as usual, and I am in my little cupboard under the stairs here, also as usual, which will be the last Harry Potter reference for the evening. Welcome to the show, Mo. Hi, Ghost. How are you doing? Good and you. Yeah, good. At least I'm not hiding under the stair, the stairwell, and at some point in time, we're going to have to upgrade these Magic Market Studios. Yeah, at, at, at some point. Although one thing we've learned in this process is that whilst Canada may be non-vaccined, certainly short telecoms. Uh, we have had some internet issues. You know, everyone thinks it's all perfect there in the first world, but not always. Yeah, not always. I mean, Canada, interestingly enough, has similar kind of oligopolistic tendencies in many of the industries. So a handful of small telecoms providers here corner the market. Pricing's not as competitive as you'd find in the U.S. Uh, and yes, as you correctly say, sometimes the quality of those networks leaves something wanting. Absolutely. So as of today, we have a new president in the U.S., which means a, a very new way of doing things, very new monetary policy potentially, the world's going to look a little bit different. So we thought today we would talk about some of the macro concepts that are going on, which is great because it makes most sound clever and I have no idea what any of them are. So I can just ask him questions and learn along with all of our listeners. So Mo, I don't know where you want to start, but you know, some one of the terms that's certainly been doing the rounds on social media outside of the sort of TikTok investor community that we keep laughing at is MMT or modern monetary theory. And I think it's something that's not necessarily new, is it? But it it kind of came into the limelight fairly recently as part of US politics. Can you give us a a bit of an overview of what MMT actually is, why it's being talked about these days, and, you know, your thoughts on it in general? Wow. So, I mean, that's a big question. And I'm I'm assuming I'm going to go off and and on a tangent and you're going to pull me back in again, Ghost. But I mean... Despite its name, Modern Monetary Theory or MMT, it's, it's actually something that's been around for, for close on, on, a, on 100 years or, you know, it's been around for quite some time. It's a conglomeration of, of a number of economic theories that were written around, uh, written about for, for quite some time. Uh, it's, it's gathered some momentum in modern discourse, largely out of the fact that it was one of the cornerstones of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. As you correctly say, we now have a new U.S. president, uh, the president, Joe Biden. And it's unlikely that these kinds of discussions will necessarily go away because because remember, Joe Biden effectively tapped into some of the the electorate, some of the constituency that were gravitating towards Bernie Sanders anyway. Um, And so on that basis, it's something that 
I think will probably stay relevant over the course of the next year and certainly over the course of the Biden presidency. So let's unpack it a little bit. I mean, how does this differ from kind of your traditional thinking around economics? And maybe if we step back, you know, generally economists tend to be bucketed into those that think about fiscal levers and, and Keynesianism. Uh, effectively, John Maynard Keynes is, is really one of the foremost schools on that side of the equation. And then you have monetarists and monetarists seem to think that everything in the economy has got to do with the supply of money. Now, as with any theory, any economic theory, there are some sound bases to both of them. But bear in mind that any economic theory is based on a set of assumptions. It's based on a set of uh, ideologies around how mechanisms work. And so none of them are perfect. And so if you look at MMT, it's born out of, I guess, the monetarist school, which says that, you know, money supply is effectively one of the primary, if not the primary lever towards uh, effectively managing economic activity. And some of the main features of it is that, you know, if a government is able to issue its own money, print its own money, the fundamental premise of MMT then is that deficits shouldn't matter. Uh, you can run a deficit and then if you need the money, you effectively print that money to continue paying for your, for your expansion, for your deficit spending. Uh, and that certainly sounds like you know, that's, that's cloud cuckoo land. It's, it's a magical world and you keep printing money and, and that works out fine. But the way they counter that is by saying that when government needs to pay for it, they effectively would then raise taxation in order to, to pay off this, some, of, some of this debt. So that circular reference means that even though government's running a deficit, government's deficit is effectively the private sector surplus. And so as economic activity moves around, that the, one of your primary levers would be that the government can go ahead, print as much money as they need to print and use taxation as one of the primary levers on the other side. Yeah, one of the main premises of MMT is that it's geared towards achieving an outcome of full employment. The theory suggests that government should effectively give every single person in the economy an employment guarantee and they should spend as much as they need to spend, whether that's deficit spending or not, in order to achieve full employment. And that's different to the premise of monetary policy as we know it now, that for, I guess, most investors, most of our listeners uh, investing history would be familiar with inflation targeting as your primary monetary policy tool. So those are some of the key features. Well, on that, just raising taxes to kind of control that money. I mean, practically, that's not so easy, is it? You can't just wake up tomorrow and say, oh, there's a little bit too much money in the system. Let me just increase the tax rates. Just practically, that's not how governments can work because it's just not that easy, right? I mean, you've got to take it through the legislature. We all know how uh, popular tax hikes will be. Trying to explain that to an electorate, it's not going to be so easy. So it sounds cool in principle, but it's kind of one of those theories that in practice might not be so straightforward and you almost wonder in south africa you know i've seen a lot of rhetoric on social media around should government be paying for vaccines with tax should government just be printing money to pay for vaccines because ultimately it's definitely going to drive the economy when those vaccines are hopefully you know hopefully they work and you wrote a great article around all the vaccines this week actually that i really enjoyed you know just running through them um if you were running the fiscus in south africa i mean what route do you think you would take with with something like that so, so I, I'd like to break that into two components. The first one is, is let's talk, let's look at MMT again. Let's look at some of the other practical aspects of that, because theoretically, can you print unlimited amounts of money? Now, if we look at the United States, for example, as a global reserve currency, they have what is called the exorbitant privilege. Uh, everyone wants US dollars. It's used as kind of this global reserve currency. And so theoretically, they could print an unlimited number of dollars. Um, 
What does that look like in practice? Well, even for the US, but more specifically for countries that aren't a reserve currency, is your ability to run perpetual deficits and to effectively print money by issuing debt uh, and then monetizing some of that debt as well uh, would be constrained by investors' appetite to own your debt. At the end of the day, someone has to be willing to buy up the government debt that is issued uh, by whoever the issuing government is. Now in the US, like I say, there's a significant pool and they're likely to be able to tap that for quite some time. But we've seen some of the stuff come unstuck in terms of governments where foreign investor appetite for their debt dries up at the drop of a hat. We saw this with Turkey uh, fairly recently, certainly over the course of the last year or two. Uh, and that results in these massive dislocations. You start to see a run on the currency. You start to then see runaway inflation. And so theoretically, yes, it can work. But the practicalities thereof is that uh, I think Maggie Thatcher is the one that said the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money. That's also the problem in bond markets is bond markets will potentially revolt at some point in time. And it just means that the, the, the government that's issuing all of that debt is going to have to pay up so much more in terms of interest. Uh, again, uh, you know, proponents of MMT will say, you know, that's not necessarily a problem because as governments spend on interest that comes back into the economy. But again, not all of that's coming back into your economy, certainly not in a global capital market. Uh, let's go to the second part of your, your question. I mean, it, it links to an article I wrote on, on monos.com uh, around COVID, around vaccines, the cost of those vaccines. And yes, there is this massive uh, pandemic-related burden on governments to try and procure these vaccines for their population. We're talking about saving lives. That should not be a negotiable. The problem comes about when profligate governments around the world go to their constituencies and say, ah, we don't have money, you have to pay up more to pay for these vaccines. And I think that's something that's fairly contentious. Because again, if you go and bring that back to MMT, one of the problems the detractors from MMT raise is that MMT would be bad for fiscal discipline. Uh, MMT does not necessarily allow for good behavior by elected officials and politicians. Uh, it's effectively writing a blank check. And so those are some of the pros and cons, even if we take the vaccine debate away from it, of saying fiscal discipline is something that is necessary because at the end of the day, there will be demand and supply factors that would exert through capital markets pressures on the governments that tend to be spending a lot more than they arguably would. Yeah, it's it's comes down to government discipline, as you say. I mean, I had the extreme misfortune of going to buy food the other day, and I actually saw a man eating a pizza out of a dustbin, not a fresh pizza either. I don't even know how old it was. It was there aren't many times in my adult life where I've genuinely almost felt emotional on the spot, and uh, you know, I, I bought him a bit of food, and it'll get him to tomorrow. What happens tomorrow? You know, tomorrow he hopes another person walks past and is willing to help him, and. This is where we are in this country right now, and it's because we just don't have fiscal discipline. So, you know, on one hand, you want to say, print the money, get the damn vaccines, let's get this economy going again. But at the same time, we also know, once that printing press is switched on, it's not impossible that we, we go the direction of Zimbabwe, unfortunately, which is, you know, what many people have warned of for years. Yeah. It's just, it's so I frustrating. Mean Ghost, the, the, the people will go out and raise examples like a Zimbabwe, a Venezuela, even, even Weimar Republic, Germany. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the problems there is that you created massive money supply 
but there wasn't sufficient, I guess, slack in the economy to supply the additional demand that came through, and that manifested in inflation. Now, as inflation ramps up, the government is then forced to continue to print money because now they're caught in this inflation spiral, and that feeds on itself. That's really what happened with regards to some of those examples you raised, like Zimbabwe uh, and, and, and so forth. Uh, it also raises an important point because you, you are touching on, on a very emotional point there, and it's a real point, is that inequality is rampant. And I'd like to pick up on this point because, again, when we're talking MMT and concepts like inflation specifically, and maybe let's let's segue into a discussion on that, inflation and, and why inflation targeting is so important. And again, I'm a supporter of inflation targeting as a policy tool. It's not the only policy tool, but it's an important policy tool. In fact, I wrote a piece uh, last week talking about, you know, how do we view money? Uh, is it money or is it time? And again, listeners can go, go and check that out on my website, mo-knows.com. But if you go and have a look at that, the value of your money has been debased. And if you look at it from 1971 to now, effectively when the dollar got off the gold standard, uh, uh, the value of a dollar today is the equivalent of 15 cents back then. That inflation hits the poorest of the poor the hardest. And that is true regardless of where you go. It's why even in South Africa, the central bank has been trying to hammer home that point saying, we will look to defend the value of the rand in your pocket. Not defending the value of the rand as a currency, but the rand in your pocket. And that's because inflation tends to hit the poor people the most. Why is that? That's because wealthy people are the people who generally have the means to hedge themselves against inflation. How do you hedge yourself against inflation? You go out there, you buy physical assets. You go out there, you buy financial assets. And that's really where the value has accrued over the course of the last four or five decades. We spoke about it on our last podcast when we were discussing cryptocurrency and some of the momentum behind that. And so in that, on that basis, when you have inflation start to run away, everyone in the short term seems to think, oh, we're richer, we've got more money. But as the value of that money is debased, the poorest of the poor don't have the means to hedge themselves against that. That starts to manifest in what has been runaway inequality, not just in South Africa, who incidentally is number one or number two in terms of the most unequal places by income distribution in the world. But inequality has become a massive problem. It has been worsening even in advanced economies like the United States. Yeah, and while they're busy doing enormous stimulus programs, or STIMI as it seems to be called on social media, we have nothing of the sort. We, do, we just shut down industries and give people basically zero assistance on it. It's just, uh, it's just incredible to watch, and it is and, uh, this inequality. Not, not, entirely, not entirely accurate. I mean, again, if you look at South Africa, you could argue that the, the fiscal stance with the massive deficits, that's fiscal stimulus that the government's getting. If you look at monetary policy in South Africa, it's been generally accommodative. I mean, you've got uh, interest rates at close to record, if not record lows right now. So monetary policy is already accommodative and it has to be very careful to not get into a position where it creates runaway inflation. That's that's the one point. Inflation is not a problem right now. But you could argue that policy in South Africa is already quite expansionary. The problem that South Africa tends to have is what is the efficacy of that policy? How well is the money being spent? That's the problem I think you have down there. Yes, that makes sense. I agree with that. Um, talking about that monetary policy, so I think inflation just came out. It was at just over 3%, lower end of what the Reserve Bank likes to target. That doesn't exactly point us in the direction of interest rate hikes, does it? Do you think there's more cuts that might still come in South Africa? Or where do you think this interest rate's going? It's always tough to call, but uh, you know, it's, it's an important question. And then the second part of that question would be, what could the impact be on, on, on big asset classes? What typically happens to equities, bonds, when interest rates are cut? 
So I think those are both great questions. We'll, we'll deal with the first one. So yes, South African inflation currently printed, and it's it's around three percent right now, which is you know certainly at the lower end of the three to six percent target range. Uh, bearing in mind that the Saab is trying to target effectively, I would say the midpoint of that range. Inflation is not a problem globally, but remember in South Africa. So let's 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 step back. There are two types of inflation. There's there's demand inflation or demand driven inflation or cost push inflation. Now. If, for example, things are going generally quite well, there's lots of money in the system, consumers demand more goods than they are in supply, and general rules of supply and demand means that prices tend to rise. That's not the problem in South Africa. Demand is deficient in South Africa. So any inflation that South Africa generally seems to be getting right now seems to be cost-push inflation. Now, that can be from a variety of factors. One would be that you, you tend to have a wage price spiral. So as inflation ticks up, workers demand more, that goes into wages, which means that the cost of the goods go up and that becomes a, a circular reference effectively. So there's that component. The other component is bear in mind that South Africa still imports a considerable amount of goods. Um, if you look at most capital goods, they tend to be imported into South Africa. If you look at a fair amount of consumer goods, most notably oil, for example, energy tends to be imported into South Africa. And so the ability for any dislocation in the, the, the foreign exchange market in the RAND exchange rate, or even if there's a dislocation in global oil prices, tends to translate very quickly into inflation in South Africa. On that basis, the Saab has been relatively restrained. I don't think they want to move this to a place where they run the risk of inflation running away from them. Uh, for now, the question that the Saab would certainly, in my view, be deliberating on is how much of slack is there in the economy? How much of gain would the South African economy get from an additional, let's call it 25 or 50 basis point cut? And the other issue in South Africa is that you don't necessarily want to incentivize the wrong type of behavior. So if you cut rates to an unsustainably low level, you tend to incentivize people going into additional debt, uh, even if it is on discretionary items. So there are a lot of incentives. Economics is about incentives. There are a lot of incentive considerations that need to go into that. I think for now, you know, the, the Reserve Bank would likely keep rates on hold at the meeting that's, that's going to be tomorrow, uh, based on when we're speaking right now. Uh, if things continue to deteriorate and if inflation continues to deteriorate and move to the lower end, there is potentially scope for them to consider additional uh, additional easing. Yeah, it's an unfair question when the MPC is about to sit because this will either age very well or very badly. And Mo, just quickly <laughs> before we, we go, the impact on asset classes, which direction do bonds going, ah, yes. equities going, if there's a cut, typically? Yeah, so 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 typically speaking, and I'm I'm not speaking South Africa, yeah, I'm speaking globally. If you if you have inflation, if you, so 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 if there's a cut, uh, generally speaking, that that tends to stimulate, and you you pick it up in a lot of your consumer discretionary sectors and so forth. Uh, it's a slightly different world right now, simply because the pandemic has changed the ability of that transmission mechanism to kick through. Uh, globally, you, you have more of a risk of inflation starting to tick up. You're seeing it in in terms of inflation expectations in the U.S. That's something that the Saab will also be looking at. Is if global inflation ticks up, it's a matter of time before that starts to manifest in South Africa. And when inflation starts to tick up, that generally tends to support pro-cyclical sectors like commodities, for example. Uh, sectors or asset classes that tend to be badly do badly is that bonds don't perform as well under an inflationary environment simply because the policy response to inflation would be to start to increase interest rates and that would decrease the value of bonds. So the way investors would hedge, hedge against that is that you get inflation-linked securities as a potential mechanism. Uh, equities in general tend to do better when inflation starts to, to tick up uh, and obviously within that you'd need to choose your sectors quite uh, 
that quite carefully. And then real assets, physical, real hard assets. I mentioned commodities. Uh, real estate slightly uh, a misnomer in that remember uh, a lot of times especially listed real estate tends to behave as a proxy for bonds so just be a little bit careful on that sector specifically but that's generally how you'd play an inflation trade uh, if inflation starts to become a problem globally thank you Moe. and just before we go a final note from me i would encourage readers to go and scare themselves by having a look at food inflation in the year or two after the 2008 banking crisis in south africa and you will Get the shock of your life when you see that graph. And we have to hope with everything we have that food inflation in this country will not behave like that in the next year or two. In fact, in fact, one very key point is if you go and have a look at what's been happening to food or agricultural based commodities just very recently, those have spiked up quite considerably. So those are all considerations that may well stay the Saab's hand. They're going to try and look through the cycle and say, where could inflation potentially go over the next year? Great point, Ghost. And go and scare yourself. Go and look at some of those charts. They're astronomical. Ghosts are not scary, but food inflation charts can be. Mo, thank you. I do just want to say, I know you've suffered COVID losses in your family. My sincerest condolences for that. And I just want to share those condolences with any of our listeners as well who are going through the same thing. It's, it's really tough. And I think it's a tough time for everyone. And we just have to kind of keep our heads down and, and hope for the best and be grateful for for what we do have. So my condolences, Mo, for your losses in your family. And thank you for making the time nonetheless to, to do this with me this week. And uh, we certainly look forward to an episode next week. Thanks so much, Ghost. Uh, that means a lot. And again, as you say, you know, our hearts and uh, and thoughts and prayers are out there with all of our listeners as well. It's it's a really tough time globally. Uh, so everyone, please, you know, take care. And I always say, I say it in my newsletters as well. I say, wear a mask. It's not too much to ask. <laughs> Practicing your Canadian accent, no less. <laughs> Mo, until next Indeed. week. Thank you so much to the listeners of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, joined by Mohamed Nala, as always. Please go and listen to the podcast, subscribe, rate it, share it with your mates, and let's grow this thing together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.